0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,261. Today, we're going to be talking about EVs, but we're going to come at this from a customer-centric data analytical approach to just see why people's opinions about EVs seem to be what they are. Be prepared to be inspired and most likely enlightened as well. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today, I'm, well, I'm back across the pond. I seem to go over there quite a bit these days in London, England, with a very special guest by the name of David of Voxland. David, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: You're welcome. Now, since we're going to be talking about EVs, I guess there's no clutch to release on electric vehicles. So I'm a little remiss in asking you that question, but you're going to enlighten us on some very interesting statistics that you've uncovered about perceptions on EVs. And I'm very excited to talk to you. But before I introduce you and we dive into this research, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, David?
1: I don't think anyone who knows me professionally knows that I'm into bouldering, so essentially a rock climbing, yes. but without ropes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how I get a lot of my exercise and super fun, great community, not, not that risky, but yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: My son and his wife got into that for a while and then they got really busy with work and I know it's something they want to get back into that was really fun. Um, they were living in San Francisco at the time and they go out into the mountains and there were places that people would, of course, my wife was very upset going, you're climbing on rocks without ropes. Uh, bad idea. What are you doing? But relatively safe, uh, a lot of training, but I remember my son doing a lot of training and, and incredibly strong fingers you guys have.
1: Yeah, Absolutely and i mean if you're like me and you're bored by going to the gym or going for a run it's just so much more fun and you can do it indoors in a you know completely safe environment as well in in the middle of winter so it's great great exercise
0: yeah looks like fun in fact uh, we have a grandson now my wife wants to create a climbing wall for him in a room we have here so when he comes to visit now he's only a year and a half old so uh, but he's starting to climb up on stuff so yeah Exactly.
1: Yeah, I I got a one year old as well. And they climb on absolutely everything. So why not, you know, create an outlet for some of those instincts. Super. Great
0: idea. Sounds like fun. Well, let's get into what you're doing. Uh, David Voxland is Director of Behavior Change and Sustainability at SKIM, the SKIM Group, a global decision behavior research consultancy. David has over a decade of experience in customer centric research and data analytics. He has also worked on sustainability both in campaigning, policy communications, and as a startup founder. SKIM recently conducted research into consumer attitudes, emotions, and knowledge as to what may be holding back mass ev adoption the results identified the gaps in people's understanding which are surprising to many in the industry and may surprise you listeners today the research was carried out across consumers in the usa germany china the uk and several other co- countries we'll be back in just a moment but first a word from our sponsors they put some petrol in our tanks here so give them a little love and we'll be right back years ago when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy my carrier's rates went up 9324 and protect the ones you love, like I did, with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage magazine has grown, mailing you 6 issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at linkagemag.com. 2050 Or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. So, David, uh, I'm very interested in this research because EVs have come on so strong. I've had more guests in the past year and a half in the EV world, battery world, technology world. Uh, just this week that we're recording this show, I had a guest from Israel who's designing some very cool technology for both EV and ICE engines. But I want to talk first a little bit about your company, Skim, and And in particular, there's something on your website called the Skim Habitual Deliberate Decision Loop, which I find very interesting. But first, tell our listeners a little bit about Skim. And I looked at your website. You've got a lot of associates working there. Holy cow. I think I counted over
1: 200. Yeah. Yeah. Which we're not, you know, one of the big uh, McKinsey's or BCG's or Cantor's of the world. We are still a, a smaller family. So we're about 300 people spread out across the globe. Uh, we got um, three offices in the US, but we got Latin America, Singapore, uh, European offices. So it's a really nice place to work, great culture, but also just about the size where you can still say hi to, to everyone and, and know each other on a, on a first name basis, which is delightful. Um, company's actually um, just over 40 years old and uh, was founded in the Netherlands. And, by uh, our founder who really wanted to create more of a work-life balance, um, which for those of you who know Dutch people, uh, comparing to the US for example, it seems to be sort of a given. Uh, but he was one of the pioneers that really wanted that to be a heart of the culture. Um, and then what we do professionally is we, we call ourselves a decision behavior so We We essentially find out when you're solving any kind of marketing problem be it, you know, how to you know, price a new car model or uh, how to develop new features um, to really understand how people think and make decisions uh, in order to, to understand how to proceed and make smart business decisions.
0: Oh, it's very cool. I was part of a startup decades ago, and one of the three of us was a gentleman who was Dutch. And so I got a very uh, personal flavor of his thinking, um, more worldly thinking than mine. Having grown up here just in the U.S., he'd been all over the place. Fascinating gentleman. I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, never could try to figure out the language, though. That was a tough one for me. Yes. It was uh, hard, hard for me to follow. Um, but it was great when we would go to uh, European business meetings and people didn't realize that he spoke so many different languages and they'd start speaking in their language and he'd
1: Oh, really? Okay. So Yeah,
0: uh, very well versed. So tell me a little bit about this. Uh, and I assume some of this came into play when we get into this talk about EV mentality and people's mentality on EVs, the skim habitual deliberate decision loop. I'm very fascinated by th- that group of words.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds very technical, very complicated, um, but it, it is, it's relatively straightforward. So it's one of, one of these frameworks that we use to, to get people empathizing, if you like, with, uh, with how people make decisions. So there's essentially, if you imagine an infinity sign, you're normally in, in, in one of those circles going round and round. So if you're entering a supermarket, you're normally in that habitual pattern, right you 're walking around you're buying the brands that you're familiar with your your mind might be elsewhere uh, and you're you're just running on habits um, which can be great if you are um, you know a brand or say a car model that is really successful and that you know a lot people just sort of tend to use the heuristics and the habits to to repeat a, a similar purchase decision in that case over and over uh, but not so great if you know, coming to the EV transition, you're trying to get people to reconsider a decision and, and really get into um, new thinking, uh, which requires a lot more effort. And for those of you who read that you know, system one and two thinking uh, is also sort of very, very similar to um, some of the principles that go into the loop. You have to get out of the habitual loop. And you have to get into that deliberate loop where everything suddenly you. and you're using a lot more mental energy, you're you're taking new impressions and new information into your decision making. So depending on on where you are, if you're a challenger brand trying to sort of break habits, you really need to get people out of that habitual loop. But you need to know what you're what you're doing there. So that again it requires a lot of thinking and energy and much more sort of intellectual labor on the person making the decision as well uh, and we go in, in between these two but uh what we are most interested in is the the trigger points that make you sort of jump in between them
0: so now i know why my grocery store keeps putting things all in different places uh every month <laughs> it's very irritating but now i see what they're up to they're trying to get me to see other things i typically don't see i'm
1: guessing right Yep. Yeah, that's a good example. You know, that annoying reason why the milk is always at the back corner of the store. (laughs) That's what you're habitually going in to get. And then you end up with 20 things in in your trolley and uh, suddenly there you are.
0: Very cool. So let's talk about EVs because uh, boy, uh, the EV world has been coming down fast. And I think for some of us, we feel like it's being push down our throats. We're saying, okay, why? And we'll get into some of those concepts, but can you walk through some of the things that you discovered? And I assume this was different in different countries as well. I follow a travel vlogger. She's from Poland, but she travels all over the world in her uh, Range Rover Defender, actually. And she just did a, a show on her perception of the U.S. and people in the U.S. and cars in the U.S. and had some very interesting perspectives compared to what she'd seen in her native land and in other parts of the world. But, you know, uh, every country is a little different. So walk us through some of the very interesting, maybe there's some more unique things you discovered that you can help enlighten people who may have a certain attitude about EVs that might open their, their minds a little bit that this could be an option for. Them.
1: Absolutely. So the motivation for doing this research was to bring sort of different perspective. I, you know, read automotive news, EV news every day, uh, and there's a lot of talk about essentially the supply side of things, you know, the price of lithium and sales figures from across the world. And, you know, how how are we gonna complete this electrification of the automotive sector that way? Super important stuff, but what we felt was missing was a more sort of human-centric point of view, because, in our view, the automotive industry is undergoing its greatest transition in its entire century old history.
0: I would agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a big deal. And I think, you know, legacy car companies are still thinking that they're selling a new model every year because that's what they're used to doing and doing extremely well. And my point of view is a little bit more that they are now. They're selling, as well as doing that, they're selling behavior change. Like they need to get people coming back to that habitual deliberate loop, Right? they, they need to get people to really feel comfortable making a very new kind of decision and, and change their behavior and how they relate to their vehicle and how they drive. And we shouldn't underestimate that. So what we had a look at was, as an introductory, and we're doing sort of, this is a part of a whole research program, and, and we're just working on the next step now. But in the in the first step, we simply looked at what what's the sort of status of knowledge among uh, new car buyers in these various markets around the world. And what we found was that, and this surprised even me, even though I had sort of a, a hunch and we were testing some of these hypotheses, was there's a lot of misconceptions still there. And we think that these things are, you know, particularly industry folk that are used to having conversations about this, think that, you know, yeah, people knows what EVs are and how they work. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are generally sort of open-minded, but to get from there to actually getting an EV as your, your next car is a whole different ballgame right? So first of all, we found a really strong correlation between your level of experience with an electric vehicle. Versus your uh, your consideration, and your purchase intent of electric vehicles, and this is goes for you know most markets in the world, not least the U.S. Most people have never driven an electric car, right? So, yeah, that's that's again that sort of big leap of faith to say you're going to pick one, but you you have almost no experience with it. And we could see from you know reading and doing some basic research to uh, riding along and maybe in a taxi or maybe with a friend to actually going for that test drive and, and having the experience yourself, be it you know, at a dealership or with a rental car, each step uh, up that ladder uh, increased your, your consideration for actually getting one in the future. Uh, but at this point in time, take the US for an example, um, 83% of new car buyers never driven electric. Yeah. Wow. So we need to get people in these cars. And if you think, and this is a theme that goes through sort of all of this this research and coming back to that sort of the supply side and uh, how car companies tend to think and they're very engineering focused and feature focused right that's my, maybe something that uh, is much cheaper to solve them to improve the, the battery range of the vehicle just get people in cars so it's one of those super super basic things um, but that's just the beginning right so another thing that we found was that uh, customers aren't quite up to speed on. They know how much range they need, and this has been sort of a long debate. The range anxiety thing—I think it's largely, largely over and done with. Uh, but still, we're at a point where we have people saying, "You know, give me three hundred miles of range, and I'm happy, right? That that takes care of ninety-nine percent of my my journeys. I'm all right with that. But they don't know." that you can get a particularly long-range version, right, of, of vehicles today that actually gave that range. So a lot of people might dismiss it offhand but by, by thinking, you know, three or five years into the past where the range was 100 miles less, they're not meeting my needs yet. I'm not ready. Electric is not there yet. So that's another one of those sort of, you know, just pure misconceptions uh, that might be holding a, a bunch of folk back from even going to the dealership and, and test riding uh, because they dismiss dismiss it out of hands.
0: How, you know, one of the things I was going to interject here, if you'll allow me is in this study, I've got to think what happened in the last two and a half years with COVID and you compound it with the reduction of, Supply, well, the increase of supply chain problems because of the reduction of work, so many things were shut down. How much effect did that have on your ability to do this study? Because if you think about for a year and a half, we were basically told, don't go outside, don't communicate with anybody, (laughs) Don't, don't, for heaven's sakes, don't go ride in a car with somebody, you know, a salesman, because you might both kill each other with COVID. I mean, there's all this stuff that happened. How much did that affect? the your your study on this whole thing it's gotta have some impact on it.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it did slow things down and I think you're exactly right. I, I actually was on this sort of journey myself because I I was buying my first EV um of the past well at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Um and I remember going for test rides where you know, I had to sign a bunch of waivers, and you know, desanitize everything, and uh, masks on, of course. So, I think it absolutely, given how how important the experience level is, absolutely slowed things down a little bit. Uh, but in relation to this research, um, we did that. Um, we did the field work um, in the middle. Of, it was the Q three of twenty twenty two. So we actually in most of these markets had had
0: some opening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a good period of time where dealerships were functioning uh, almost back to normal. So we're pretty, pretty confident in that, even though I think I agree with you that it slowed everything down a little bit. Uh, the people who are responding to these questions were in a relatively normal situation. again.
0: Well, and also the car market exploded in price because everything got massively expensive. So people were reluctant to go spend money. I was just at the dentist yesterday and my dentist who's had a Tesla for some time, I noticed in his parking lot was a brand new Rivian. I said, hey, do you, you get a Rivian? He goes, yeah, I finally got it. He said, I ordered that car two years ago. Yeah. Finally showed up. And he said, then when it showed up, they tried to charge me more than what We agreed to, and I argued that point, and they kind of backed down finally. But I said, well, I was asking him because I told him I was going to be talking with you today, and I said, well, how much did that time period of waiting weigh on your decision to stay in an electric vehicle when you could have bought other vehicles more easily? And he said, well, uh, it was frustrating, but I was convinced that's what I wanted, so I had patience. But he said I had friends that just canceled their orders and went and bought a Ford Raptor, you know, because they're like, I'm fed up. This car's never going to show up. So there's some play there. But but back to this concept of people's perception, did you do anything in your study that added the complexities of, let's say, social media and political influence? Because it seems like EVs have been politicized ad nauseum, and that creates a entire process of people making comments that are true or not true through social media that is highly influencing of everyone on these decisions. I'm just curious of that aspect of it, because if you could remove all that, if we can remove all that from our life, it'd be really nice, right, Um, to to make better decisions. But you see things like in the winter, oh, look at all, you know, what are you going to do when it's winter and your car is electric and you can't charge it? You're going to die in the road. You're going to freeze to death. And it's like, okay, come on. (laughs) But people believe some of this stuff you know i mean you could you could die in a car that was gas charged if you were stuck in a blizzard too so you know i mean what's the difference it's the same with car fires and things so how did you push those those veils away in this study to get a better perception of people's viewpoints
1: yeah so two things and so in this first phase that we're we're talking about today we did look at owners and like your dentist owners are they don't really believe in myths because they have the direct experience, right? So they're very convinced. Uh, we looked at considerers, and new car buyers who are open to EVs, and then we looked at rejecters, so new car buyers who are, are not, at this stage, uh, considering an, an electric vehicle. And unfortunately, particularly in the US, uh, where things have been politicized and the EVs have been pulled into some kind of cultural war, uh, we do see a huge um, discrepancy between those Considerers and rejector groups in their beliefs around. We we talked about misconceptions such as you know are electric vehicles o- overall all things considered better for the environment or not, uh, and we can see uh, a whole bunch of people and then particularly on that rejector side who just think no because that's one of the persistent myth um, and there's there's clear evidence to show that some of this is, is also coming from the fossil fuel lobby to say you know the batteries and the mining in the Congo and you know the increased energy that goes into the production of these things overall that you know you might as well go and buy an internal combustion engine which is not true uh, and it's never been true but that's just that one example of one of those myths that that uh, lead to the data that, that we're seeing which is super unfortunate. Less so, you know, if you look at the market like China, um, but in the US, you can really see those differences, right? And as a little bit of a sneak peek, uh, this isn't in the public domain yet, but we we do have our next stage is a full customer segmentation study where we really start looking at who are the different buying groups um, for electric vehicles. Uh, And there we also measured um, political Viewpoints and and really got a much more richer profile of of the different people and where they're coming from. Um, seeing that some people come from you know a very strong environmental commitment and some people are coming from you know a very strong technology early adopter commitment. For some people, it's just about saving money and and being sort of smart financially. Um, and you can also see um, the you know things like political affiliation um, really pop through in in those groups as well. So it is we know a big problem um i i'm optimistic thinking that in uh, in in most markets we're we're sort of approaching a tipping point where and with policy and legislation coming into force as well right it, there's no stopping this this train uh it's more about how quickly is it going to run and we're also looking at your listeners are familiar with the sort of traditional adoption curve in marketing so you have sort of really early innovators and early adopters, a small percent of the market, very happy. They, those are the people that were, you know, waiting for two years for the original uh, Model S or even the roadster, right? Um they are happy to wait, they're happy with bugs and teething problems and, and everything. Um now we're entering, I think, in, in a market like the US or in the UK, the early majority. These people are not gonna put up with any inconvenience. Uh, and they have completely different requirements. So this is really where, where this research is focused in thinking, okay, how do we get from these, um, you know, tech interested early adopters that they're willing to put up with anything to, if you're thinking about, uh, you know, what we in, in the industry call the customer journey. Right? Um, I just went through this, as, as I said, with my first EV, I had to think about my home charger, I had to think about, uh, you know, what kind of charger to get, and I had to hire an electrician to install it. I had to research, you know, 50 different EV models to pick the right choice, the public charging network membership. Um, so complicated, thinking about incentives, etc. cetera. It's way, way, way too complicated for uh, these early majority folk to just go ahead and go out and, and, and buy one. And that's just where we are right now. Then, if thinking about what we call the rejectors, uh, that's probably part of the, that, that late majority, which is another sort of third of the total market. Might be a little bit skeptical at the moment. Might have some misconceptions. Might even have some disinformation, as we were talking about. We're not quite there yet, but I'm I'm quite concerned that um, a lot of the data that the industry has is coming from these early adopters. Whilst now we need to make it much more straightforward, much easier, much more convenient to access that that big mainstream market. Uh, And that's also a big part of the motivation to show that today, unfortunately, we're not there yet.
0: Who should be the ones to properly educate us car folks? Now, I'm a diehard car fanatic, so I'm on the extreme of the car world uh, when it comes to, the let's say, the average buyer who just needs a vehicle to get back and forth to work or go to the grocery store. However, who should be responsible for getting the correct, accurate information out to consumers? Because as I said, so much of our world now is dictated by the social media and the big media complex, news reports, and you don't know who to trust anymore. Uh, You you know, a lot of a lot of it. I just stop watching the news because I don't I don't know that any of them are being honest with me at all. But when it comes back to cars, who do I trust? Because the guys selling the cars, you know, Elon at Tesla or General Motors or whoever is selling the electric vehicle, they're going to tell me what they think I want to hear. And I've even become skeptical about them in a way. Um, So how do we as consumers get the right information so that we're making a very good decision? on our next car purchase.
1: Yeah, I think if, if, even if you put the, sort of any, any kind of active sort of disinformation or, or myths and, and the whole social media thing to one, to one side for a moment, the fact is, it's still, and this is one of those things that, that also needs to change, right, it's really complicated. If I really want to figure out how much it's going to cost me to not just buy, right, but, but to run an electric vehicle. Uh today I think most people uh who, who want to do it seriously, and some of us geeks are like that. We'd like to you know build a little spreadsheet and, and, and figure things out over time. But again, that's that's not um what um what the mainstream market does or should have to do. Um so we need to get simpler, obviously factual messages out there. And there are resources, you know, the, some good resources in the US, for example, in, on uh, government websites is giving you straightforward, fact-checked, you know, science-based messages um, to, to give you guidance. But I think the industry can also do a much, much better job in order just to, you know, it shouldn't be too too difficult for me to go through all the, those steps I mentioned on my journey, right? If I, if I go into a dealership, uh, first of all, there's, unfortunately, there's a disincentive um, for, those who run dealership models, which is basically every car brand except for some of the startups, including Tesla at the moment. Because um, as Hertz has figured out and, and we're seeing more and more data come out, EVs are a lot cheaper to to repair and maintain over time. Um, so Hertz ordered a hundred thousand EVs uh, and now they've been running them for a few years and they're they're seeing like it's forty to fifty percent cheaper to maintain these vehicles compared to traditional internal combustion engine in stock um, in their fleet. Well, if you go to dealer, um, dealers make, if you're buying sort of, you know, say a, a higher end German car, uh, and you come back to, to have it repaired, that could be a good, um, 30% of, uh, of the lifetime value of you as a customer to that dealership. And suddenly you're starting to take 40 to 50% of that away. Um, that's a, an incentive structure that those, um, Legacy car brands really need to figure out as well. So obviously, you know, trust your dealer, but you might have to ask to test drive that electric vehicle and 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 be a little bit pushy and do your own research. And there, there's a you know, as you know, there's a host of great podcasts. Yeah, you know, there's a host of um, fact-checked um, government resources that you can you can go to educate yourself. And I think a lot of the automotive press is also doing a really really great job at, at sort of getting you the consumer finance perspective on, on ownership and considerations when, when buying as well.
0: So it really comes back to do your homework. <laughs> that's, you know, at this point in time, you really have to do your homework and communicate with people, especially people who already have those vehicles. I think that's key. Ask their your opinion, what problems have you had, all these things. It's, it's not really unlike when you go to buy a car back in the old days is you look at Phil down the street and go, hey, how do you like the new Cadillac? Well, it's pretty good. Well, what do you not like about it? Uh, it gets terrible gas mileage. You know, it's a big giant car. So, oh, okay. Well, I don't drive that much, so it doesn't matter. Or, huh, commuting in a giant Cadillac might not be. Not to pick on Cadillacs, but it's a good example. <laughs> yeah. back, back in the yeah. days, they're going EV too. So, you know, very cool. Well, this is neat. The, is there a place where my listeners can go to read more of this report? Uh, do you have this on Skim Group website?
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. You can go to skimgroup.com. Um, And you'll be able to access our automotive page from there and and read the blogs and and read the report. And uh, obviously, you're also very welcome to, to get in touch with me directly as well.
0: That would be very cool. You know, we've gone very long because we've talked so much about this, but I really wanted to touch on this because I find it really interesting and it becomes a big debate at Cars and Coffees that I go to and uh, this week we're recording is the Arizona Auction Week and it's all about classic cars and cool old cars and you start to interject EV into that world of those folks and they kind of raise their eyebrows sometimes. Others can say, well, I have an old Porsche in my garage, but I also have a a new uh, Taycan in my garage as well if they're into Porsches or whatever it might be. So, yeah, the world is definitely changing. You know, I wanted to touch on you just a little bit about your passion for cars. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick because we've gone kind of long here today. But are you, would you consider yourself a car guy? And if so, have you had a special car in your life or is it this EV decision you finally made?
1: Yeah. So I love driving and uh, I was always really passionate about cars as a, as a young man. Um, but, uh, I think it's a little bit of a generational thing, a little bit of a European thing. I moved to the UK, settled in in London, and there just wasn't any reason for a long time to have a car. Well, yeah, um, especially if like you it.
0: live in London. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, it takes you it takes you an hour to get anywhere, um, and um, you're you're stuck in traffic half of the time. So it was really as actually the the first car I've I've owned, having driven a in a lot of cars and, and having a, a lot of wonderful vacation rentals, et cetera. Um, the first car I decided to um, to buy was um, the when I made the EV decision. I also, being a guy who's been into sustainability and, and working on these topics for a long time, I was also waiting for electric cars to really hit that sweet spot where I found, okay, this is the time. So yeah, I did an, I did a lot of research too much research. Uh, it should be easier. <laughs>
0: well, you're an analytical guy. So I expect that from you.
1: Yeah, being a little bit geeky, uh, <laughs> wanted to get it right as well. Uh, went for a, a whole bunch of test drives. Um, but yeah, I settled on the, the Tesla Model Y, um, which having driven hundreds of different cars throughout my life, is is a great car, right? It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's so convenient. It's so easy. I compare it a little bit, and I know probably other people have made those comparisons before, but having been a PC guy for 15 years, getting my, my first MacBook just felt like a ton of things just became simpler and more straightforward Yay. and more intuitive. <laughs> yeah. Which car people, and I, I, I appreciate that perspective as well. I like to drive stick, like, I like the, the control and, you know, the manual. Sure. The, European. Yeah, absolutely. But compared to an automatic, you know, when I go back to Sweden, I drive a bunch of Volvos. Um, the the Model Y is, is a fantastic experience.
0: Yeah. Well, good. That's cool. Good to hear. So I'm going to be a bit of a car psychologist for you today. I'll bet you no one's ever asked you this question. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Oh, wow. see a big smile on David's face here. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I... A car that I I have never driven, but I would love to drive because I, I, I've i driven some Porsches and I'm um, uh, sort of, that's a luxury sports car kind of brand. That's something that I'm into, like a 1973
0: Carrera RS. Oh, you picked the Holy Grail.
1: Yeah, it just feels like such a unique car and the, the steering and it's just, yeah, it's a Completely different beast from um, from most of the cars that I've had the opportunity to drive in my life.
0: Yeah. Well, my listeners know I'm a huge Porsche fanatic. I've had 11 or 12 911s as daily drivers throughout my life. So I've driven lots of those wow. cars. Yeah. And uh, I had a very brief window of time back when they were, well, wasn't affordable for me then, but they were affordable compared to now to buy one from a friend of mine. And I remember coming home and saying to my wife, he's going to sell the car. She goes, yeah, but... Because I think at the time you wanted like 60000 for it. Now, this was 30 years ago. So that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And so uh, I said, well, I could take on a second on the house. And she said, yeah, if you think that's a good idea, <laughs> which is, of course, code from the wife going, bad idea. Yeah. uh now you know looking back uh would have been a great idea but i i've done well on all my porsches uh so uh no but i've been able to drive one i had a 72s and uh the, very much the same kind of car 2.4 not a 27 but a 24 but it was an s so high revving like the carrera but yeah you picked the right one the only one i'd say to go above a step is the rsr one of those uh, Rock race cars so that would be Pretty cool for the streets, so very cool. How about a great book? Uh, We love books here. Is there a great book you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I had to think about this, and uh, I think I've got two recommendations, and they're sort of touching upon these topics of electrification, sustainability, um, the the human-centric perspective. So the first one is a book called Electrify, um, and the subtitle is An Optimist Playbook for our Clean Energy Future um, by Saul Griffith, I, I read last year. And it really broadens that perspective because, you know, if you see only EVs, then, it, you know, it might seem a, a little bit sort of fanatical that uh, this transition is happening so quickly. But he really paints, you know, the big picture on a whole societal level, how it fits together with solar and uh, and how all these things also reinforce each other so that when, you know, people talk about we can't be dependent on Solar because it only works when the, the sun is shining, etc. Well, if you have an EV in your garage and you charge that during the day, you got a huge, huge battery that can then release that so you can do your cooking in the in the evening, etc. And, and balance the grid on a on a on a macro level. So super fascinating, fascinating read. Um, highly recommended. And the second one is uh, a book um, from um, the UK um, called Transport for Humans uh, with the subtitle. Are we nearly there yet? Um, <laughs> by Pete Dyson and, and Rory Sutherland. Um, and these are two guys that have worked in a behavioral science um, consultancy as part of Ogilvy, which is a huge global ad agency, uh, most famous for. Uh, but they've really gone into uh, the detail on how can you make transport just better from, from a human point of view, like building out a – a new railway for for billions of dollars to to save 20 minutes on a journey time, what is that worth when if you had great Wi-Fi and you could have a glass of wine on the train, that might be worth something as well. So they make all these super interesting comparisons and um, thinking about how you can make transportation, whether it's cars or trains or bikes or whatever it is, um, just work better and, and meet our needs better as human beings. Again, in a Whether you you take policy or whether you take um, a car company building cars, it's it's usually looked up from a very sort of economist perspective or from a very engineering perspective, whilst actually um, there's a bunch of behavioral science insights that can then shed new lights on how we make these systems smarter and just work better for for people. Often at a very low cost compared to making those grand infrastructure investments or Coming up with you know a, a new feature for the next year's model.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Two great books. So I'm an enabler here. I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive, which should be kind of fun. I'm going to park any car in your garage. You can take if you want that Carrera 73 RS. You can take that on a drive. You can go anywhere in the world. Just part of the magic wand here. But here's the cool part: you can take anybody with you, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us, which opens up uh, interesting conversation if you're going to be in that Porsche or that Y model, Tesla. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you if I'm going to write the check?
1: Yeah, I'll take the Carrera <laughs> I kind of
0: thought so, yeah.
1: Yeah, and a beautiful drive, folks, I haven't done it yet. Is um, If you go from southern Germany, um, say Munich, and then you drive through the Alps, through Austria, Switzerland, and down into to Italy and the lakes um, absolutely gorgeous, great driving, great scenery um and yeah absolutely stunning drive so that's where I would be um and I was thinking it would be it be pretty fun for me with my interest to um, to get uh on Schwarzenegger on that journey
0: oh now that's interesting
1: <laughs> it, it's just um, um a guy who's clearly lived like a super interesting, uh, varied life. Um, it's had, I like, you know, people who had ups and downs um, and comebacks. Um, and he happens to be from the region as well, right, originally. Um, so we could chat about Alpine cuisine, but we could also talk about sustainability, yeah. having his changed course after the governorship. Um, so I think that would be a, a really interesting ride with a with a really interesting guy who's again had ups and downs very vulnerable very open uh, with all of his different life experiences um so yeah
0: yeah what a life he's had i, I got to at least say hello to him very briefly at the pebble beach concourse he was there years ago and uh was walking around had a had a it was after his governorship, so he still has some Secret Service people with him. I'm pretty sure because the people surrounding him seem to be very Secret Servicey, I guess if you will. Yeah, um, but. Um yeah, uh, interesting guy for sure. But uh, more importantly is the car and the drive. And I will tell you, I, in 96, I picked up a new Porsche with a friend of mine at the factory in Stuttgart. And we did that drive. We drove south to Austria, Switzerland, Italy, northern part of Italy, Lagana all the lakes and stuff. And then we went over to France and then back over to Germany where we dropped the car off to get it shipped home. That is a very cool ride through the Black Forest. And uh, yeah, it was And it was in February. So it was a little cold, some Snow in places, but it was a C4S, so the car did handle really, really well. And I uh, got to go some high-speed Autobahn runs there in Germany where the speed limits were open and free. So uh, yeah, you're going to have fun in this ride for sure. But I can't imagine doing it in an analog car like the 73RS. That would just add a whole nother, an entirely different level of fun. And then you got Arnold on board. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would make it even more fun. So uh, yeah, interesting selection, but I love it. I love it, David. you take taking us on an awesome ride today. And I can't thank you enough for sharing what you've learned and continuing to share what you've learned i'll put links uh, to the skim group website on david's show notes page could you leave us with maybe some uh, inspirational words of wisdom perhaps based on what you've learned about the future of ev and the optimistic outlook that we could perhaps have on that
1: yeah i was thinking um i was particularly um as a younger man very into uh, to buddhism and i still do meditation um, which i think helps really focus your attention in for, you know, the day ahead, but also for, for the longer term on, on the stuff that's important. Um, and there was a, or um, well, there is a, a famous prayer um, in the Kagyu tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, which I, I practiced within, uh, which says revulsion is the, the foot of meditation. And what that means in the, the context is that, you know, we have to be getting really sick and tired of our um, suffering and then um, be able to get onto the path of meditation and uh, and try something different. But I think that also it works as well um, when you're thinking about you know something like EVs, uh, other things in life, with getting a little bit frustrated and sick and tired of you know being stuck in in traffic in a city like London and pollution, and and really looking for cleaner, better ways to to approach the the future. So. I see it as a it sounds a little bit negative. I see it as a really positive motivator to go and and bring change into your industry and and into the world.
0: Well, having just returned from Mumbai, where the traffic is unlike any place I've ever been, and I've I've traveled a lot around the world, but that city, oh my gosh, yeah. And then, uh, sadly, the pollution in the air there, which was very very tough to deal with. Um, and you see why with all the vehicles. So yeah, I think that's a good approach to what the future could hold for us in a very positive way. I want to do a shout out. Thank you to Louise Wilmot at Influence Associates. She's the one that brought us together today. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Always great to talk with interesting people from around the world. And David, you brought some very interesting perspectives. I know my listeners are going to go to your website and learn a lot more about what you've learned. And you're going to be keep bringing us this. this, So maybe in the future, we can have you come back and uh, we can take a different approach to this, of what you've learned and, and how maybe the market has changed a little bit now that we're knock on wood uh, out of COVID please <laughs> no more of that so we can move forward in a positive light but I want to thank you for being so generous today with your uh, time and your experience and expertise this has been uh, very enlightening and very rewarding so thank you for spending time with us today until you and I talk again I'll see you down the road
1: yeah thank you for having me Mark it's been Really nice conversation. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, me too. This is fun, especially learning uh, different people's experiences and perspectives and you being a scientist, if you will, in this area. So it's not uh, subjective. It's all objective on what you discovered for us today, which is very enlightening because it seems like the world has gone down the other path of opinions these days. So thank you for, for your brain trust. We appreciate it.